God, I feel that you want to bring healing to someone, that you want to bring deliverance to someone, God, that you want to bring stability to someone's chaos. Lord, I sense in your Holy Spirit this morning that you're wanting to minister and love on your people. Prepare us, Lord, to receive from you. Prepare us to receive from heaven. Every good and perfect gift that comes down from you, oh God, we want to be available to receive from you. Prepare our minds today. Prepare our hearts. Get our spirits in line with you. That we might not only hear the word, but receive it this morning, God, so that we can become doers of the word. Settle in among your people, God, and do what only you can do in a way that only you can do it in Jesus' Matter of fact, nothing we're going through has ever been gone through before. We are facing in every strata of our life, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you want to come to grips with it or not. I know there's people that kick against the pricks uh, no matter what happens in life, and they just want to ignore uh, the situation or they want to scream about constitutional rights or whatever. Whether you want to admit it or not, This has affected every area of our lives. You don't go anywhere where things are just like they used to be. And and I don't know how long it's going to last. It's already lasted much longer than I ever thought it would because I'm I'm usually pretty optimistic when it comes to fatalistic uh, viewpoints. People will say, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. I say, "Uh, it'll all come out in the end because it it always does. Uh, eventually, it always just gets better, and it's never as bad as we think it's going to be. N- neither is it uh, as good as that we think it's going to be. And, and so I'm always optimistic. And when this all began, I thought we were probably in for about a month. And all these months later, we still, uh, and it's, it's affecting the way we're doing church. Today, we're opening up our, our children's ministry, uh, and a lot of people still aren't ready to come back to church. And a lot of people are still afraid to come back to church, and then... Um, not to mention, it affects uh, the, the way that we're having to do. We, we had a system in place, and, man, it ran 
like clockwork. We had uh, backups to our backups, and, and when somebody wasn't here, we had people that could step into their shoes on a moment's notice, and now those people that uh, were step-ins aren't even back in church yet, and there's faces we still haven't seen and uh, haven't heard from much. Not sure, you know, whether they're coming back. I, I have preached for years when I was an evangelist that two things would, would happen uh, with the rapture of the church. Number one, many churches would uh, soon find out uh, that, the, that the community won't miss them once they're gone because they're not making any real impact in the community to start with. And number two, uh, if the church ceased to exist, about 60% of the people that went every Sunday wouldn't care. COVID has proven both of those points true. Uh, there's a lot of people that came to church every Sunday, and church hasn't been going on very much, if at all, since March. And they've gotten to the point where I am with sports. I just don't care anymore. I, I found out I don't need sports in my life. I found out after all these years of me being an avid follower of sports, I just don't care anymore. And I don't think I ever will again. And a lot of people, unfortunately, have gotten to that place with church. And I don't know what that means going forward. I, I have no idea. I, I, I know we just closed a church in, in the last two weeks, one of our churches on our district, and uh, I, I'm going to be in the process of selling the properties and stuff. And we're, I, I don't know what the future looks like. Therefore, I have to be in my spirit settled that even though I don't know what the future looks like, I have to know who holds the future. Because... We can't wait on Washington to figure it out. And the CDC don't know what they're talking about. Their story changes every day. So I have to put my faith in something or someone that is greater than all of that. And, and I've been uh, preparing a series of messages uh, that I thought I was going to start before Easter. And, of course, everything came unraveled, and, there, and it just did not feel right, and it wasn't the right time, and it wasn't the right season. And, and now, uh, after all of this time, I'm ready to, to bring forth a, a series of messages that uh, uh, I'm going to be dealing with the one that has all the answers. And, and the one that has all of the answers to all of the situations that the world has uh, to, 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 to face today, tomorrow, yesterday, and forever. You and I will never have a problem that he does not have an answer to. So this morning, I'm going to begin a series of messages, and I'm thinking it's going to be a long series. Uh, it, it, I intended it for it to be a long series. I was wanting to go up to Easter. Uh, that didn't happen. The series is called Under God. I thought today would be a good time to start that, considering that it is the uh, weekend of the 4th of July. Uh, our Pledge of Allegiance says one nation under God. Uh, I, I already had the name and the title picked out for this series many, many months ago, but I thought today would be a good time to tie it in uh, with the, uh, the, the situation that we are facing as a nation. Uh, many situations that we're facing, that, that, that's the thing, and I'll get into that in a moment. The, the enemy never comes at you with one situation. Uh, because once he gets you backpedaling, once he gets you running, he, he adds on and piles on and just continues to berate you and, and, and destroy and kill uh, because that's what he does. So we're not facing one situation. We are facing a multitude of situations, and yet we still must understand we are one nation that is under God. And when we forget we're under God, that's where we lose a lot of our credibility, but it's also where we face our greatest problems. That's where I'm going to begin this morning in Genesis chapter 11. I found out when I was studying for this message, I have never preached on the Tower of Babel. 
I've mentioned it. Uh, I've tied it in with other sermons, but I have never preached a sermon uh, in my 23 years of ministry on the Tower of Babel. That's going to change this morning as long as the Lord doesn't rapture me out of here between now and about 40 minutes from now. Genesis chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Mm. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain on the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, I wish we had this kind of mentality still today. Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Pay attention to this next sentence because it's going to be the crux of my message. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down. He don't come down unless he was already up. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower. He came down because they were under God. And when you forget you're under God, some stuff starts happening in your life that sometimes makes God have to come down to give you a reality check. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. I wish we had that mentality again. The people are one. And they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. In other words, because they are one, they can do anything. I'm going to say that again. Because they are one, they can do anything. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over there over the face of the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. It is, it is uh, theologically settled in most circles that this is where our nations came from. This is where our races came from. This is, it's theologically settled on, in most arenas that the Tower of Babel is where the different nationalities began. That up until then, as you read in the story, we were all one people. We all spoke one language. And it was there that God said, when they all get together and make up their mind to do something, they're going to get it done unless I, God, step in and put a stop to it. Because sometimes your ideas aren't great ones. So God has to step in and confuse their language and he splits them up and he sends them abroad and it's, it is theologically settled in most arenas that this is where all of the different races and nationalities began. Now when you begin to study something called systematic theology, I don't intend to teach a theology class this morning, but I'm going to give you a peek behind the curtain about what I have uh, a degree in. When you study something called systematic theology, you are taught that there are basically in your Bible ten different areas of theology. All theology is not about the same subject. For instance, angelology is a study or a theology of angels. 
Christology is a study or a theology of Christ. Ecclesiology is the study or the theology of the body of Christ. Eschatology, I know a thing or two. Eschatology is the, is the study of end times or a theology of end times. Hermonology uh, is a study of sin or a theology of sin. But at the top or the apex of all ten areas of theology is called theology proper. Theology proper is simply the study of the character and nature of God. This is what I'm going to purport to do over the next several, several weeks. I'm going to give you a study on the character and the nature of God. For what good does it do to have all of this theological training if we fail to understand the God about whom the theology was written? What good are all these church services that we have and all these songs that we sing and the prayers that we recite if we fail to connect with the heart of the one whom we serve and the one we sing to and the one we pray to? It's a shame to admit it, but there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians who barely even know God. And if you want to break theology, uh, theology down or theology proper, if you want to break it down, it can simply be described as the God is statements in your Bible. For instance, God is omnipotent. He has all power. God is sovereign. I thank God every day in this season that He is sovereign, that He is control and Washington is not, that He is in control and I am not. I'm glad God is sovereign. God is holy. He's not trying to be holy. He's not trying to find holiness. Holiness is what He is. He is holy. God is light. In Him there is no shadow of turning. That means anytime darkness gets close to God, darkness has to go because God ain't going anywhere. That's why you and I need to find ourselves hidden in God because when you hide in Him, darkness can't come near you. That is why I worship the way I do. If you wonder why I worship with such passion, it's not just because of my outgoing personality. I worship Him with all that I am because I realize that if I hide myself in his light the enemy can't find me and no weapon formed against me is going to be able to prosper God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth but perhaps the most well known of all the God is statements is the one I'm going to spend all morning preaching about God is love he doesn't try to love he's not finding love and God never falls in love. He just is love. When I get close to God, I get immersed in love. That's why it don't matter if people don't love you. Or if people walk out of your life. Because if you ever mess around and get close to God, you'll find all the love that you have been searching for in life. 
God is love. His love is limitless, which means it knows no bounds. It reaches, my God. God's love reaches. And where does it reach? It reaches past your issues. It reaches past your dysfunction. It reaches past your immorality. It reaches into your life. It don't matter if you're a crack addict. God still loves you. I wish I had somebody in this church that remembered what it was like when you didn't feel love, but the first time that love of God came flooding into your soul how it made you feel something. It doesn't matter if you were in an idolater and loved another God. God said I still loved you. It don't matter if you were struggling with something this morning. You can walk into this building and God say I still love you. I know you're not perfect but I still love you because his love will jump over all that mess just to get to where you are. I wonder if there's anybody left in the church after COVID that can still testify that they are a product of God's limitless love. Now, is that all you got? I'm talking about people that said, you know what? I know I wouldn't be where I am today and probably wouldn't even be living today had it not been for the limitless love of God because I done messed up a few times. I done stuck my foot in my mouth a few times, but God loved me even though I did not even love myself. Uh, anybody ever ask God, God, don't you know who my daddy is? God, don't you know who my mama was? Don't you realize all the generational curses in my life? I'm thankful that God's love hasn't been held up because of what other folks said about me. Because of the way people thought about me. I'm glad that God didn't take their advice on whether he should love me or not. Y'all ain't going to help me right there. See, because if you wonder why I love him so passionately in my worship, it's because he first loved me. But I wasn't worth loving when I had nothing to offer him. And when I wasn't even looking for love, God loved me first. And that's why when I'm up here praising God, it's not trying to put on a show in front of you. I'm trying to show him how much I care and appreciate the fact that he loved me through my mess. God's love is a radical love. It's the kind of love that says... So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved. When God's love shows up, it looks at everything you've done and says, So? When God's love shows up, it looks at everything you might have been And messed it up and it says, so? But God, I'm not qualified. So? But God, I'm not perfect. So? God, I messed up last week. Do you know what my daddy did to me? Do you know who my mama was? Do you know how disqualified I am? Do you know anything about my past and what I, what road I took to get here? God, do you know who I did it with and how many times I did it? And God looks at you and says, so, <laughs> see, see, that's the kind of love that God demonstrates that you and I don't know anything about. And the reason that I brought you to Genesis chapter 11 is because these people at Babel obviously never studied theology proper. They had never taken a seminary class on how to break down the hermeneutics of the theology proper syndicate. I, I lose you there. These people at the Tower of Babel built the tower for two reasons and both of them go against theology. The Bible says that they built it one so they would not be scattered all over the world. The second reason they built it 
was because they wanted to become famous. They said, we want to make a name for ourselves. They wanted to leave a mark. They wanted to do things that people would remember. Now, why do you think that they were worried about being scattered all over the earth? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, you'll find out that when Noah stepped off the ark, God told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But the people didn't fill the earth. They all stayed in one area. And that wasn't God's plan. God understood that if you keep all the people on one part of the planet, that it won't be good for the planet. If you overpopulate one area, it's not good for the food, it's not good for the water, it's not good for the environment. So God told them to scatter out. He told our ancestors to scatter out. They thought they knew better than God. They didn't. And there, there's a second interesting observation regarding their desire to be famous. They were selfish. And they wanted to act independently of God. Now it tells us in the next chapter, here's a group of people who wanted to be famous. They wanted to make their name great. And God stopped them. But go read the next chapter. And God introduces Himself to a man named Abram. Who He tells Abram, if you obey me, I'll make you famous. I'll spread your name far and wide and everybody will know you as the father of my people. See, the problem was not their ambition to get fame. Or they, 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 the problem was not that, that, they, uh, that, that, that fame is an issue. No, no, no. You can be famous. Their problem was that that was their motivation for building. So I learned three lessons from the Tower of Babel I want to share with you this morning. And I want to break it down in such a way that we're going to build a foundation for going forward under God. I learned three things from studying the Tower of Bible. Number one, our focus needs to be on making God famous. Our focus needs to be on making God famous. I do not care if on my tombstone they put that I was a preacher. I do not even care if they put on my tombstone. I hope, I hope this is the testimony, but I don't care that if on my tombstone it says beloved father or beloved husband. I hope that's what they say about me, but I don't care if it's on my tombstone. But I hope that the legacy I leave behind is that I made God famous in my life. That I didn't try to point the lights at myself. That I did not try to deflect or reflect my own beauty or my own uh, 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 essence, but that I was busy about my father's business trying to make him famous in this world world. Another way to say that is to give God glory or to give God credit for who you are and what you have. Because then he will give you the fame that you can't handle and that he desires for you to have. We, we spend a lot of time evaluating everybody but us. But please note that you are not responsible for anybody else. You are responsible for you. And the people that make improvements are the ones who can honestly evaluate themselves. You don't go very far with God trying to make yourself famous. You don't go very far with God being a, a, a bad self-evaluator. If you think you're all that in a bag of chips, you and God ain't getting along very long. Because the Lord, He is above all. And the people that make improvements in their life are the ones that can be honest with themselves. I wish I had a witness. That's why, by the way, Psalm 23, that's why the Lord is the shepherd that brings you by what kind of water? 
still waters. Why does the shepherd bring you by still waters? Because he wants you to be able to see your reflection. How you really are. You can't see yourself in moving water, so the shepherd brings you down to still water so you can see what he is looking at. The good, the bad, and the L-G-L or U-G-L-Y. He wants you to see it all up close and personal. He brings you by still waters so you can see that you're not what people say you are. Because you don't reflect their voice. Their voice hits your ears, but he wants you to be able to see what he sees in you. Because some of y'all got friends who will lie like a rug right to your face. They'll tell you stuff about you that ain't true. They'll tell you stuff about you that will keep you in your mess, that will keep you in your bondage, keep you in your insecurity, keep you in rebellion, keep you in denial. As long as it keeps you in their life, they will treat you, try to keep keeping you into uh, their tragedy. But, but, but I'm glad for a good shepherd, a good shepherd who wants to be honest with me so I can be honest with me, who will bring me by the still waters so I can look over and peek in and say, whoa, that ain't what I want to be looking at. That what I want God to see. That's not exactly what I'm walking. That's not what everybody else said about me. I want to see what he says. I want to make him famous. The second thing I learned about the Tower of Babel is that there is strength in unity. Did you hear what the Bible said? God himself said to himself, self, look at that bunch down there. They didn't do what I told them to do, which was spread out. Now they're all together. Not only are they all together, they are all together. Like they all thinking the same thoughts, working toward the same goal, speaking the same language, doing the same work. And because they're all doing it together, we are going to have to stop them. They are about to build a tower up into the heavens because they are working together. That's the power of unity. And that's why the devil fights it so bad. Listen to me. The goal of the enemy is to keep us frustrated with one another. The goal of the devil is to keep us angry and distracted at one another because there is something in you that I need and there is something in me that you need and there's something in one another that all of us need and the fact is the devil wants to constantly remind us that we're not all the same because he wants to constantly remind us that if we're not all the same we can't all work together because he understands that unity brings power and disunity brings curses. And that, is, that happens at the White House, that happens at your house, and that happens in this house. And it's a true across the board that if we all get together, we have power and we have blessing and we have favor. But if we won't get together, disunity brings fraction and curses. That's why in, in this world, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I'm just amazed. I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be shocked by people anymore. I, my heart hurts because I'm not as shocked as I used to be. Like I used to get shocked when I saw a preacher fall from grace, have a moral failure. I'm not shocked by it anymore, and I wish I was. I wish that I hadn't become numb to that. But I still am shocked by people when I hear their heart. Some folks got saved in the altar. They need to go home and get their Facebook saved. 
Because I, I, I hear their heart, and, and I'm just going to share something with you. You can't claim to love God and not love His creation. You, you can't do it. God doesn't give us an out. He doesn't give us an exemption card. If you love Him, you must love one another. He died for them. Who are them, Pastor? All of them. He died for red and yellow, black and white. We are precious in the sight. The ones that are saved, the ones that are barely saved, the ones that ain't saved, the ones that have uh, illicit uh, lifestyles that we don't agree with and we know that an abomination, yeah, he died for them too. And the people that mess with little kids that are in jail today, he died for them too. And I know you don't like it, and I don't like it either, but that does not give us an out for loving them just because we don't agree with them. Uh, I, I'm amazed at how many people have read the Bible who claim that they pray, they go to church all the time, but they still think it's okay to discount people. Oh, did you hear how quiet it got in here? Because we know it's true. That's the devil. Can I just make a statement? Bigotry is the devil. It never came from God. Prejudice is the devil. It never came from God. Racism is the devil. It never came from God. It's not ever going to be accepted in heaven. We might as well stop trying to get it to be accepted here. Love is a love. How do we know that we love? Well, because we say we love? No, because if you just declare love, that'll work for a little while. But how many of you know that you can say you love somebody and not show it? At some point, you have to show your love. Jesus said, this is how the world will know that you belong to me. Not that you say you love each other, but that you have love one to another. I say I love you. That works when it's said for a while. But sometimes I love you sounds like empty promises because at some point you have to prove your love. Not just by what you say, but what you do. Love is not really love and faith is not really faith just because you said it across your lips and gums. Love is love and faith is faith because you show it. Faith without works is, uh-huh. So that's why I tell God I love him. But I also have to work at showing God that I love him. And that's why I love God. Because God is love. And he didn't just tell me he loved me. He sent his son to show me that he loved me. And he didn't just declare that he loved me. He demonstrated his love toward me. So I want to know in this world today, where are the demonstrators of believers that don't just say they love people, but that we are willing to stand up in this generation and say, we do love people because he first loved us. The third thing I learned is if you know what God wants for your life, don't fight it. You have never and will never be able to stop God. So it's always better, what's that Jonah? If you'll just go along with him willingly. God made Abram famous because Abram gave credit to God. So the thing that those workers at the tower were striving for, Abram got it without asking for it because the motivation was right. My mother had a saying for me. Well, she had a lot of sayings for me, and some of them I can't say in the pulpit. 
But my mama had a saying that she used over and over and over again when I was growing up. Every time I started being defiant, my mama would look at me and say, Boy, you're getting a little too big for your britches. Which, believe it or not, is not a fat joke. It's, it simply meant I was starting to believe I could do what I wanted to do and defy what she told me to do. And every so often, God catches us getting too big for our britches and has to do like he did at the Tower of Babel and just come on down and remind us that we are under him and he is over us. So he has to sometimes remind us that we are under God. Ever since the beginning, God has been trying to restore a broken relationship with, with his creation. God and Adam had a relationship where they walked together in the cool of the day. They spoke to each other. They saw each other's face. And that relationship got fractured because of sin. And ever since that garden, God has been trying to restore the relationship he had. So he goes to Abram and he makes a covenant. And he says, these are going to be my people. And that covenant worked, but it only worked to a certain degree. We still couldn't see God and God still couldn't look on us. And it, was a, it, 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 it helped, but it did not heal. So God sends His only begotten Son to die so that we can be restored unto Him, but we still don't have the kind of relationship that we had before sin entered the picture. And in the meanwhile, God speaks to a man named Moses, and He says, Moses, I want you to go tell Pharaoh, who has my people as slaves, I want you to go tell him to let my people go. And notice He said, I want you to tell him to go let my people go so they can go and worship me. Now, I want to call attention to the fact that he is not simply calling them out to a revival or a camp meeting service. There is a deeper meaning implied here. He was calling them out from one ruler into his rulership. He was calling them out of bondage into servanthood. He was calling them out to be separated. He was trying to establish, and you're going to hear me say this word through this series, he was trying to establish something called a theocracy. Uh, and, and in a theocracy, there is one king, and he is divine, which means whatever he says goes. He doesn't bring it to a board. He doesn't ask for opinions. He passes laws, and they stand. He rules, and every subject under him has to follow his decrees. He was trying to establish a theocracy. And God had to deal with Pharaoh in order to become what he wanted to be. Because, listen, you are never really free as long as the one who used to control you is still chasing after you. So you can say yes to God, but if you still got one hand back here holding on to what used to be, y'all ain't going to help me. It, it, you can be coming to the altar and praying in church, but if you got one hand holding on to the thing that used to control you, you are not free. That's why he had to draw Pharaoh down to the Red Sea and drown him in the presence of Israel because he wanted them to watch their old king die so they would erect a new king in their eyes. He brought them out. And here's the problem. They met other people. 
You ever notice how easier it was to raise your kids before they went to school and got around other kids? Because you controlled what they thought. Remember that? Remember when they were little and they hadn't started school yet? You told them something and it was gospel. Remember when your kids believed you? That you would just say, oh, that's blue. And they'd just go around the house all day going, blue, 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 blue. Because you said it was blue. It could have been green. They wouldn't have questioned you because you were the word of the Lord. It didn't make any difference at all. They didn't fact check you. They didn't Google search you. Whatever you told them, they believed it. And then they went to school. And they started coming home with stuff that didn't make a lick of sense. You look at them, you'd hear them say something, you'd be like, where'd that come from? Because your training had become contaminated by their exposure to people who serve other gods and who do not hold to your beliefs. Israel began fellowshipping with other nations who had kings. And Israel got jealous of their kings. And they wanted one too. Although God was trying to establish a theocracy, they wanted a monarchy. Why? Because everybody else has one. So they came to Moses and they said, Hey, I'm sorry. They, they, they came to Samuel and said, We want a king. Why would you want a king? It's a dangerous thing for you to want to be like other folks when God has called you to be separated. People can want the craziest stuff. What I've, I've met people who asked me to help them pray for the goofiest stuff. How are you going to be out of work and pray that God would, get, would let you stay out of work? How are you going to pray for somebody that you didn't like the first time they was in your life to come back into your life? You mistreated them the last time they was there. Why, why would I be praying that God would bring them back to you? What, what, what they were saying was this. Everybody else has a king to bow down to. We want one too. Everybody else has a king to boss them around. We want one too. God told him, if I give you a king, here's what's going to happen. He's going to tax you until you're broke. He's going to take your prettiest daughters for his wives. He's going to take your strongest sons and make them fight in his army. Oh, and by the way, you won't ever own anything because he's going to own Everything that's yours. And they said, yeah, that's what we want. See how you can want some crazy stuff? And so they frustrated God to the point that he agreed to give them what they asked for. I ask God every single day not to give me, not to give me anything. He don't want my life. I, I, listen, I ask God every day to give me the wisdom to only ask for stuff that he wants in my life. Because you need to be very careful what you ask for because you just might get it. They insulted God. God wanted to be king, and they asked him for another king. They said, we want a king we can see. So God gave him Saul. We know how that story ends. The kingdom ends up split. People are dead. Houses are at war with one another. All because they asked for something that God did not intend for them to have. All because they had a king, and it wasn't good enough for them. And before that, by the way, God had a system. I want you to understand that before that, every time they got into trouble, God would raise up someone called a judge. God would raise up a judge, and they would defend Israel against their enemies, and that was God's way, and that was God's plan, and by the way, it worked. They won every 
battle. Go back and read the book of Judges. You'll find out that God was on their side and they won every single battle. But by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, you read one of the most disturbing verses in all the Bible. Judges chapter 17 and verse 6 tears my soul. Because the Bible says, in those days there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. The first part leads to the last part. When there is no king, everybody does whatever they want to do. Just like today. Now understand where this preacher's coming from. I don't mind people being wrong. We've been wrong since a snake in a tree. I'm talking about we've lost our sense of measurement. We don't even want to admit there is wrong anymore. We're getting to the point where emotions mean more than facts. Where, where, where we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, so we start changing the system by which we used to measure right and wrong because we're afraid somebody's feelings are going to be hurt. I don't mind folks being wrong, but instead of us admitting that we're wrong, we just change the definition of wrong, and now anything goes, and we expect God to be okay with it. I'm not even talking about sin because we're born into a world of iniquity. Sin is always going to be part of our lives on this earth, but we're not just satisfied to sin and be a sinner and be labeled a sinner. We want to redefine what sin is, and then we want the church to endorse it. We're living in a time when everybody's got an opinion about everything. And if you don't do it just so to please them, they get an attitude. They cancel you. And there was no king in Israel. And everybody does what was right in their own eyes. Come to church every Sunday after laying out drunk on Saturday. And there was no king in Israel. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Got no shame about it. Satisfied with themselves. And if somebody says anything, they just get an attitude and take their, take their uh, little seat and go over to the other church where they don't preach on sin over there. Singing in the choir and got a husband at home and a boyfriend at work. Y'all ain't going to help me right there. And if anybody says anything, they got an attitude and they'll just switch churches. This is what happens when there is no king. I didn't say it it's not when there's no pastor, when there's no preacher. This is what happens when we don't have a king. When we have not humbled ourselves down to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That means that when I get up in the morning and when I go to bed at night, right is right and wrong is wrong. Not based upon what I say or what Yahoo News tells me, but on what heaven has told me. And if I am submitted to him, I am submitted to his right and to his wrong. My God in heaven. And this is not popular preaching anymore. When I first started preaching two decades ago, this would have Church of God people stand up afraid that if we get upset with somebody, we're going to make somebody upset. I didn't invite him to church. I didn't invite her to church for preaching to tell them that they were sinners. Well, my God, what would you want me to do? If they're heading to hell, wouldn't you want me to rescue them? Uh. My biggest fear after COVID is not that the church hasn't come up to holiness. I'm, I'm more afraid we don't even know that there is a standard anymore. People like me are just becoming dinosaurs. Because, yeah, I started dressing the way you dress, but I didn't lose my standard of holiness. I still believe right is right and wrong is wrong, and, and the, the uh, government's not telling me what that is. 
They're not legislating my morality. Heaven already did that for me. And I know that there's a standard that I'm supposed to live up to, and I fall short of it. And when I fall short of it, I have to go to the king and say, I have failed you, king. I say, I didn't fail you. I may fail you, and I have to ask permission or forgiveness of you. But mainly, I failed the king. I'm sorry, king. Please forgive me. I'll do better the next time. But when there is no king, every man does what's right in their own eyes. And no wonder people aren't leaping out of wheelchairs anymore. And no wonder deaf ears aren't opening anymore. Because how are we going to cast the devil out that we've been sleeping with all week? How are we going to have power over the enemy when we have invited him into our home? When we bring him to church with us? We're going to rebuke a devil that we have celebrated openly on Facebook. And when there was no king, Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I want the king back in my life. I need the king in my life. I want him back on the throne of my heart. And I don't ever want another king to take his place. If I got a business, I want the king in my business. If I got a family, I want him in my family. I I want the king to rule over my decisions I want him to rule over my family I want him to rule over my health I want him to be the king over my finances by God I want the king to rule over my mouth because I'm tired of my tongue running wild so I have to get up every day and say the king is coming the king is coming. I'm not just talking about in the rapture. I'm talking about I need the king to come. I'm not talking about in Bethlehem in the stable. I'm talking about I need the king to come into my life. I, I need to get up every day and say the king is coming into my house. The king is coming into my attitude. If you're sick, you need to get up every day and tell your sickness the king is coming. Because when the king shows up, every knee must bow and every tongue confess that he alone is Lord. I need to get up every day and you need to get up every day and tell the devil the king is coming. Go ahead and say Celebrate because you beat me yesterday, but I'm still here and the king is still coming. So I just want to remind you, we're not finished yet. It's all under God. You, me, the devil, your sickness, your dysfunction, your personality, your attitude, your problem, that generational curse, that mindset, that you keep taking two steps forward and three steps back. All of it is under God. Hell has not created a problem that heaven does not have a solution to. Your enemy has not gotten so powerful that the king has lost his authority. Man, there's so much dysfunction in this world. And if that's all you put your eyes on, you will adopt the same mindset and dysfunction of the world. But you have to remind yourself every day, it's all under God. I pray for healing for this nation. Not just for a, from, a physical, uh, from, from, a, from a physical virus, but from the, 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 the wars that are going on. I mean, my goodness, I get... I get, I get people uh, upset over racism. I get people groups fighting over racism. But can we give, a, get, give up the fight over masks? 
We are so offended these days that you get fussed at for not wearing a mask or for wearing one. And this is, are we in third grade? These are grown adults. And I'm going to fuss at you because you don't have one. You're going to fuss at me because I'm wearing one. Somebody went, some lady went into a, a, a restaurant the other day and chewed out some 17-year-old girl and made her cry because she had a mask on. And she's ordered to wear it. She works there. Give them a break. It's all under God. Not under you. You're not the last authority. It's under Him. Give one another some grace. Give each other some latitude. Let people be off your center line a little bit. Because it's all under God. So I pray for healing for this nation. Yeah, we need, we need this bug eradicated. Because we, we need our lives back. But we also need our, our king to come back. We need our king because when there is no king, every man does what's right in their own eyes. So can we pray for our land? It's, it's the weekend of independence. Can, can we pray that, hey, listen, I know, I know, listen, racism is a hard issue. So when you start praying against stuff like that, you've got to pray for people's hearts to turn. Uh, but, but it's all under God. God can do a thing. He can bring a healing, and I believe a healing needs to come through the form of revival. And that's why the devil wants to keep the church shut down. There's churches today that are having service, but they're not allowed to sing in California. There are churches of friends of mine who opened their churches, and today they had to go back outside the building because there was an outbreak of COVID. Listen, the devil is trying to separate and segregate us. We have been trying to get back together. Uh, the, the church and the world has been trying to get back together, and the devil knows that when we get that, we can build towers that reach all the way into the heavens, and he wants to keep us separated and segregated. We won't let it happen. Not on our watch. We are all under God, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've got a mask or you don't have a mask. If you dance, if you don't dance, if you're Chevy or Ford, if you're Marianne or Ginger, it don't make any difference. It's all under God. So let's pray for our nation. Can we do that before we leave? Father God, we are one nation under God, but we seem divided and splintered and fragmented, and that's what the devil wants us to see. But, Lord, I want to see through the eyes of the kingdom, and I want to see that you have created us all. You have manifested your glory in every person. God, every skin tone manifests your glory. Every skin pigmentation manifests your glory. Every nationality manifests your glory because you're the one that sent us into these different regions because you wanted to be manifested through more than one look and one design. So, God, let us all sing your glory. Sweep this nation as the waters cover the earth. Cover us with your glory and your, and your power. And let everyone see what a wonderful, splendid king you are. Break revival out in our land again so that we will see how powerful you are. Break revival out again so that we can see that sickness does not rule the day, but that you, the king of glory, have power and dominion over sickness. We love you, and we want to manifest your glory, God, so we pray that you would come in like a flood and raise up a standard against every evil demonic attack that is trying to perpetrate itself against your kingdom. Help us to stand when others fall because we hold on to you, our king. We are under God today and forever. And in Jesus' name, the church prayed, amen.